I've really hyper-focused on if I were learning, how would I want to learn? Because I've took so many courses and spent thousands of dollars on coaching. And I was like, oh my God, what is this person doing? Like, it was so boring to get through. It was so hard. They would give a lot of like big concepts, but never like the how, like the one, two, three steps. That's what I need. Or I need like examples. Like, I know what you mean, but like, show me in the real world, how does this look like? So I can kind of wrap my head around it. So that I would say is one of the big things I'm I'm known for is really teaching business advice, business education, and strategies to grow your business in a way that an ADHD brain can actually understand. No fluff, no BS, just straight. This is how it is. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 163 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose, it is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. You know, in the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. And today, you know, our guest is the result of a couple of requests of late from listeners asking me to get her on the podcast. The last one was from Mariah Rose, and I remembered her name, yay me. And her request tipped the scales and made it happen. So I want to first of all thank you, Mariah, for letting me know about our guest, Jesse Romero. Jessie is an ADHD business coach, speaker, and course creator. Before that, she was an entrepreneur who struggled, but she couldn't figure out why. She spent thousands of dollars on coaching and courses, but the advice she received just didn't work for her. Oh my gosh, can I relate to this? Shortly thereafter, Jessie was diagnosed with ADHD, and suddenly everything made sense. 
Before becoming an entrepreneur, Jessie was an educator for a nonprofit for teens, and she mastered the art of unconventional fun ways to teach the boring lessons. When she's not working, she's either winning a tickle fight with her toddler, watching a Netflix series with her hyperactive ADHD husband, or buying more marble stuff on Amazon. Welcome, Jessie. Did I get all that right? Yes, for sure. <laughs> so what's the deal with the marble stuff? What is marble stuff? <laughs> oh my gosh. I know marble's like cute for everyone, but I've been obsessed with marble for years. Like our wedding, the whole theme was marble. When I say marble, I mean like the white and gray blackish type of marble. Oh, uh, so you're not talking about the round little marbles. No, no, oh, no. Okay. I was like, I don't know. I know there are games you can play with marbles. <laughs> no, no. Oh I God. just so love like the Carrera chic marble. Look. Yes, yes, Carrera ah. marble. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so that is so funny. So you love marble stuff. Yeah, you know how like our brains stick to one thing and it's like all we want to see. Well, that one marble is for me that. And we are in the process of um, buying a new home. I think we're closing next week. We just got word today. And so congratulations. Yay. I'm so excited. It's our first home and we get to renovate the kitchen. And as soon as I found out we could do that, I'm like, oh, marble kitchen for sure. No questions asked. So I'm excited. (laughs) So I have a big marble island that I call my baking island because I love to cook. And That thing is amazing. I don't need anything like to roll stuff out. I just use the marble. Yes. So cool. Yes. Oh, I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah. No, that, oh my gosh. The first home is just so exciting. Yeah. We, we've been, it's something we've been dreaming about for the longest time. Like, um, you know, on Target where they have the little like $5 section at the front, there was this um there was this little like home wall decor like it was just a little house and I remember going through that and seeing it and I'm like I need this right in front of my desk because it's going to motivate me and remind me of my dream of owning a home one day and that was about like 6 months ago and so today it's like happening and we're so excited about it so yeah wow well that's pretty impressive 6 months and you made it happen Yay. I know. It was all lots of determination and focus and wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. So talk to us about your ADHD diagnosis. So tell us, give us your story. Yeah. So, well, I, like everyone, I think else had the stereotype of ADHD as a little kid who can't stay still. And that was very not me at all. So what were your symptoms? My symptoms, yeah, inattentive ADHD. So definitely like a very hyperactive mind racing thoughts, a huge imagination. I remember as a kid, I would really get lost in my imagination and it would get me in trouble. But, you know, forgetting things and being chronically late to everything and talking a lot and stumbling over my words. And yeah, it was, it looked very different, but I was a model kid in school. Like I was I wouldn't say teacher's pet because I didn't try to do that on purpose, but like the teachers loved me because I was a good kid um, and I got fairly good grades. So I would have never thought to put myself in that category, but it didn't happen for me until I became a mom. And so it was my first time becoming a mom and it was a whole new experience that is very difficult for anyone going through it. Right. But 
I realized that I was having a much harder time than I could see other, even I had friends that were also going through it with me and it was really hard for me. And um, I don't know if, if you know this, but like, thankfully now there's a lot of awareness about postpartum depression and that stuff. And every time I would go to my son's doctor's appointments, they would have us fill out this little checklist. And it was like a postpartum depression checklist, like asking me, the mom, if I'm experiencing any of these symptoms. And I remember being quite honest with those. And they I actually didn't feel like they were relatable to me because I'm like, well, no, I, I don't feel like because again, I was unaware of what depression might look like in women. Mm -hmm. And so my picture in my mind was like, can't ever get out of bed, just moping around with a sad face all day. And I'm like, well, that's not quite me. Like I enjoy my son. I have moments where I'm really happy, but I was having, what's the word? Debilitating anxiety about my child, about everything. Like I was so afraid he was, something was going to happen to him. And that was like, my brain had hyper-focused on keeping my son alive. I mean, obviously that's a part of being a mother, but I was too focused on it and it brought so much anxiety and yeah, it was really bad. I was not keeping up with all of the new responsibilities and there was a lot of shame about it because I just felt like I could do better. And I, was, I felt like I was trying my hardest and nothing was going right for me. So it wasn't until I pivoted in my business from being like a social media manager and doing like done for you services, got really burned out with that. I was posting like to 10 different accounts every day. And I, I was no yeah. so much, I was so burned out. I, I finally got to the point where I was like, I'm not even enjoying entrepreneurship. I don't even want to do this anymore. And that was my big red flag. So I pivoted to coaching because I was actually coaching a lot of my clients, although they weren't paying me for that, but I just couldn't help it. And in that middle of a pivot, and I think a lot of people can relate to this because my brain was almost so excited for this new, and it was like a hyper focus of like, okay, now I got to pivot. Now I got to do this. Hold and on one second, Jesse. Let, let's, let's focus first on, because I'm sure... We all have so many questions about, so this is your first child, right? Yeah. Boy or girl? Boy. What's his name? His name is Jaden. He's okay, three so, now. Oh, so you have Jaden. And yeah. before Jaden, you were coping pretty well. So you were teaching actually in, you know, in a school, like as a teacher? No, I wasn't a school teacher. It was a, like a nonprofit for teens, troubled okay. teens. Um, okay. And so we did cool lessons um, about like, because a lot of them did not have any positive role models. So it was like, even things like how to pick good friends for yourself. And so it was really a rewarding career. I really loved it. Um, mm. And I got to make a really huge impact in that. But did ADHD I, ever come up there? Yes. Yes. And there were lots of moments where I almost felt like they wanted to... Um, move me up and but moving me up meant taking on a whole bunch of more responsibilities mm -hmm. and I just felt like I was already drowning in the ones I had and I'm like why does everyone make it look so easy I'm struggling to keep up and I've been doing this for three years and it still feels like I can't keep up like I it should be muscle memory now shouldn't it like I should be able to do this easily yeah so it but was a struggle you back then so even then it was a struggle, but it sounds like you really had an interest in certainly the teens and the topics, what you were teaching. 
Yeah. But it was, was it all the administrative stuff that was like, what was causing the problem? There was just a, I was like leading. So we would have like, we would call them clubs. And so I was leading and we would have an event, two events a week. So I was leading all of that. So there was like equipment I had to bring, picking out the songs, creating the lessons, texting all the kids where the address is at. Like there was a (laughs) lot of that that I was doing. Yeah. Um, So there was so many little, like my to-do list was like a CVS long risk. Like it was like so long every single day. So of course that is a recipe for disaster (laughs) for any ADHDer. And then I, I just, I also was pretty young and I felt, um, I was not confident in myself. So I felt like I had a lot to prove all the mm-hmm. time. Um, mm-hmm. so I just felt a lot of pressure to like get things right. Um, so were you struggling with anxiety then? Do you think, or. Oh my you- gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. It's funny because I can, the person I am now is like so self-aware and like so educated on mental health, but that is not who I was even three years ago. Like I had no idea about anything. Um, It wasn't something that was really brought up like at home. Um, So when I discovered my ADHD and I discovered what anxiety kind of really looks like, I was like, oh my gosh, I have had this my whole life. Like that's what anxiety feels like. Well, that is me my whole life. And so I was definitely dealing with anxiety. I just wasn't aware of it. And I remember I would even have lots of like body things, like my eye would start twitching or like, you know, some of the signs of anxiety in your body. And I would always be confused by that. I'm like, oh, I wonder why that's happening. But I never thought it was like because of this huge reason. I'd just be like, that's so weird. And I think oftentimes I'd even think, is there something? I'm sick. I'm going to die. You know, I'd just go to like, (laughs) yeah, so it was a mess. So um, you ha- are you one of a number of kids? Do you have siblings? Yeah, it's, uh, it's just me and my sister. She's uh, my younger sister. We're six years apart. So there's two girls in your family. Um, yeah. Does your, your sister struggle with anxiety too? Or um, I, So I think she does, but not to the level that I do. And she definitely does not have ADHD. Um, <laughs> so, so we've ruled that one out. <laughs> So did your parents ever, like, did they notice that you were more anxious than your average child? No, they did not because I was very good at faking it and not telling anyone because I didn't think it was important to even share about it. I also didn't feel like it was something that would be validated, just something that'd be brushed off. So yeah, it's been a hard journey to like have these conversations with my parents today because I I felt like I had to because they didn't know who I was for real. They didn't really know the real me because I had never been able to show that. You know, I was masking the whole time. I was not really saying what was on my mind and how things made me feel. So it was it's been a hard journey for that process, but it's also been really rewarding. So why did you think that you wouldn't be validated? Why were you so fearful to tell your parents what was really going on? I mean, did you, you knew you were struggling, but you didn't really know you were struggling? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so my parents are from Colombia. So it really comes from like this culture of minorities where, and I, I still hear people say this to me now, you don't complain until you've left without a house and you're like about to go to jail or something. Like if you're, if you're not in the most terrible situation ever, you're fine. You should be grateful for where you're at now. 
And so suck yeah, it up. I think growing yep, suck it up. And growing up, whenever I did make my parents aware of anything I was feeling or it, really, it's even the small things. Even the small things as a kid. If if a kid says I'm scared or I I, I don't feel I don't want to jump, right? Even those things. When parents go, no, there's no reason for you to be scared. No, don't be silly. Don't be scared. It's fine. You got this. We think that that's not damaging, but really the message is sending is invalidating what I'm feeling. And so there was a lot of that going on. So I just felt like it's fine. And the other side of this that I discovered was that my parents' approval was the reason I existed. Like for me, it was like, I have to have their approval and I will do anything to be the good kid, to be the good daughter, to be the good student. I just want their approval and I want adults approval and I want them to say that I'm good. And you can imagine how a lifelong of that created so much chaos internally for me as an adult because it just really stopped me in my work, in my personal life, even when the pandemic started, I had to live with my parents for a few months. And I remember going through a turmoil of like, oh my gosh, why do, why do I want to perform for them? It sounds like you were living their life instead of your own life, which I can imagine how that would increase your anxiety. Yeah, totally. And I think the biggest issue is that Obviously, my parents didn't know that I had ADHD and that my brain was different from theirs. And, you know, they didn't really they couldn't understand, couldn't possibly know. So what they were expecting of me and in the matter that they expected things of me was very difficult for me to be able to do and to do at the rate that they wanted. And so it was like I tried so hard to fit their expectation and it just felt like I always failed at that. And it was so frustrating because I'm like, but I'm trying so hard and I want to so bad. But I mean, obviously, when I got my diagnosis, I then realized, ah, OK, this is why I wasn't able to do what I what I felt like I needed to. Just simple things like, you know, can you put the clothes in the washer to the dryer? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And then completely forget because working memory. <laughs> and then it was the you don't ever help. Why didn't you do that? It was a simple task. Like you're so selfish. And I would just be like, oh my gosh, I, I didn't mean to do that. Like I didn't do it because I was being bad. Like I just really honestly forgot. And then the self-shame loop would start. And then it was like, why am I not good at things? Why can't I be a good daughter? Why does my parents have to always remind me things? Like why can't I ever get things right? Oh my gosh. And that was what happened in my mind every single day at all moments. So there was just a lot of healing I had to do once I got my diagnosis. Well, let's back up a little bit. So then you you had a baby and it sounds like the wheels came off the cart. It yeah. was way too much. Yeah, it was way too much. And you do have to add in the hormones. You know, I was breastfeeding. And so, of course, everything is just stacked up against you. And but I was really motivated when it comes to my business. And I thought I found this awesome, like new pivot for coaching. And it really felt aligned. And I was so excited for it. And so I get my first client, Tracy, and I do my first one on one session with them. And of course, it's recorded. So I go back to watch it. And I'm like, all right, let me sit down. Let me take some notes. Let me see what I did really good, what I could improve on. 
And to my horror, when I watched that back, I was cringing the whole moment. I was in horror watching myself because I could not believe that that's what I look like when I talk, that my hands were everywhere. I would start sentences and never come back to them. I was talking so freaking fast and I was, and I talked so much, like I, my, my client barely got a word in and I was just, I would, my eyes were looking everywhere all around the room. It was a mess. I was having anxiety just watching myself and not because it was me, but just like if this person were standing in front of me, I would be like, oh my gosh, calm down. <laughs> and uh, But you so, didn't know about the ADHD then, right? No, I didn't. But the funny thing is that as I watched that, I knew that something was horribly wrong. Like I was like, there's no way that this is what I look like when I talk like that. This is not normal. This is not normal. This is not okay. And that is the moment that, I remembered a TikTok video. This was like right before the pandemic started and TikTok really blew up. But I remember watching a TikTok video of a girl who was sitting at her desk with uh, headphones in and she was just twirling with her pen, trying to do homework. And all the caption said was, this is what having ADHD as a girl looks like. And I remember seeing that TikTok and being so confused because I'm like, what do you mean? She looks perfectly fine. And I remember reading the comments of people talking about their ADHD experience. And I remember relating to all of them. And I was like, whoa, that's weird. But I was like, wow, that's weird. Kept scrolling and did nothing about that because I'm like, surely I don't have ADHD though. So in that moment when I'm watching this playback of me talking to my client, that video pops in my head. And I'm like, oh my God, what if I have ADHD? Because what I am seeing here right now is like proof of it. It looks like ADHD. <laughs> and and it's, oh. so, it's so great because we have no awareness often, right? You had no yeah. idea that that's how you look and behave and move. And <laughs> Right. Yeah. It was right scary. Up there. We can't deny it anymore. Yeah, it was pretty scary. So I was like, no, there's no way. So I did what everyone else does. I did a Google rabbit hole search and I read everything I could read. And in that moment, I joined all of the Facebook groups I could find. And I was like, no. And it's funny because I remember this moment, like the exact place I was sitting in my home. The moment I started researching, I remember what my husband was doing with my, like, it was like a moment that I almost like took a snapshot because I'm like, I have to remember this moment. This moment changes everything for me. <laughs> so that's where I, as the more I read about ADHD, the more I nodded my head, the more I, the more I said, oh my God. And so that's where I decided to do some research and then go get a, an official diagnosis. And how long ago was that? Um, that was about a year and a half ago, almost two years now. Okay. So once you knew it was ADHD and you have the benefit of all this hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as, oh my gosh, of course that was my ADHD. Yeah, I think the forgetfulness was a really big one for me. And I, it was always something I was really insecure about. Like, why can't I remember things? And the chronically being late was also something that I was also really insecure about. And because at my um, previous job, I was really like the only Hispanic there. And there's just kind of this running joke that Hispanics are just chronically late. Like, it's just... <laughs> just the thing about our culture, like everyone just expects it. When we do parties, 
what it says, it may say 4.30, but we say 4.30 because we expect everyone to be an hour late. Like this is just what everyone does. It's One a known of my thing. closest friends is Hispanic. She's Mexican. And if she shows up an hour late, that's actually early for her. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think she's also totally ADHD though. Like seriously ADHD. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So I remember just being really insecure about that. And when I was in my job, I remember them obviously like mentioning me being late. And I remember trying to work really hard on changing that. And I almost felt like it was, I was so insecure that I couldn't really change it too much. I mean, it worked a little bit, but I was like, man, it's just my Hispanic showing through like, but no, it was my ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So what has changed since you were diagnosed? Well, a lot. <laughs> um, I think it awareness. Yeah, awareness is the most beautiful gift anyone can have because once you can understand yourself, what your brain is doing, what your body's doing, and why, it just gives you so much liberty and freedom from like all of the negative labels you were holding on to, right? I know a lot of people don't like to use the label of ADHD. And I think there's two parts of that. Obviously, if you want, if you're going to hold a label to like limit yourself, like to give you a reason why you can't do something, then I think that may be a little bit complicated. But for me, it was like, a, I'm not lazy. I'm not stupid. I'm not a careless friend. I'm not a procrastinator. I'm just ADHD. <laughs> and it got me so much liberty. And I really started to feel the more I learned, the more I accepted myself. I started to feel lifelong insecurities and narratives and beliefs about myself just kind of start falling off. And it was so cool to witness like an inner transformation and and my family started noticing it too. And so, yeah, now it is so much better because now I don't shame myself, which is like the biggest and best thing you can do is now it's, oh, I'm my brain is just having a hard time remembering things. So that means I'm going to be sticking by my notes folder a little bit, um, way more than I usually would, right? And I just support my brain now and I don't shame it or beat it up for doing the things it does. So I think that has been one of the biggest things for me since my diagnosis. What was your parents' reaction? Um, Well, I think their initial reaction was like, what are you talking about? You don't have ADHD. Um, but thankfully my, my parents and I have a a good relationship now and I had to explain to them, I'm like, mom and ADHD is this and this and this, and I struggle with that. And I think they really started to see like, okay, this, this does give us a lot of answers. Um, so they were pretty supportive, you know, after some of the initial things and I even challenged them to for them to read up on it in Spanish and learn what they could. And yeah, so they were understanding. Um, but the, the knowledge still was missing like the, okay, so you have ADHD. So that means I can't expect this of you. Right. Or I, I have to word it differently now. And so even now we're still working on, you know, mom, it's, it's just not as simple for me to just clean my house and like, 30 minutes, like it is for you. Like (laughs) it's not as simple for me to just broom every day because I go to get the broom and then I walk something else that needed to get done. And then I completely forget what I was doing. And then when I do start brooming, I can't find the little picker upper thing. So then I'm looking for it everywhere. (laughs) 
and then I get distracted and then that's why it doesn't happen okay I, that's what I need you to understand and I think as I've been um explaining to my mom my thought process like what goes on in my head I've finally seen some light bulbs come on for her like she's been like oh my god and she asked me just this week does this happen to you all the time <laughs> I was like yes yes this is my brain all the time since probably when I was born like this is my normal and I could really tell that she finally understood why things were so hard for me. She even felt exhausted for me. She's like, that sounds so difficult. Like, how do you do it? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been good. Is there family that you can point to and say, Ugh, I think I got it from this person? Oh, gosh, yes. My dad is like poster boy for hyper ADHD. He like, he is, and of course, in their time, right, like diagnoses weren't something that were given out pretty easily like they are now, but he would have gotten one because my dad is like off the charts ADHD. Like it, it, it is, it, it's actually been really great for me to find out that I have ADHD because I've been able to help my dad and even help my mom understand my dad. Yes. Um, and yeah, it has been yes. so, so good. You know, my mom said this exact same thing when she found out about, well, first it was my son who had ADHD. Then, you know, I was diagnosed with ADHD and I'm pretty sure a lot of it comes from my dad. And I gave my mom um, at the time it was Ned Hallowell's current book, which is Driven to Distraction. And I gave her a copy of that book and she read it and she came back and she said, you know, it really helped me understand your dad. And it, it makes me feel much better to know this is not done intentionally, right? It's right. just how his brain works. Like my dad never wore a watch. He just, and we used to joke about it. What, like time's fleeting? Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he was a dentist. And so it was all about the patients. And I guess if they ran late, he, you know, he would just run late and everybody would wait. So anyway. Jesse and I have had some microphone problems. Um, it's actually my microphone. I keep getting knocked off of my Scarlet, which is the microphone that I normally speak from, and then it takes up my MacBook Pro audio. So we are hoping that this mic will cooperate and Zencaster. Okay, so thank you, Jesse. I'm sorry about that. Man, we have had our share of tech problems, haven't we today? <laughs> yeah, but it's okay. And it's been my tech problems, not Jesse's. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> so, Jesse, I want to talk to you about entrepreneurship. I just love this subject. And, you know, what I'm going to say is a bit controversial, but I've said it many times before that I really believe that most, if not all, entrepreneurs are somewhere on the ADHD spectrum. Of course, you know, we can, because it's on the spectrum, it's more like height rather than, you know, are you pregnant? Um, meaning that you can have really minimal um, ADHD traits or symptoms and or you could go to the complete opposite side and have really extreme ADHD traits and symptoms. But there are things that, um, traits, I should say, not things, that really bode well for entrepreneurialism. And we tend to have them, you know, traits like our curiosity and our fearlessness and our are very high energy. However, just because you have these traits 
of course, doesn't mean that you're impaired enough to qualify for an ADHD diagnosis. So I'm not saying all entrepreneurs should be diagnosed with ADHD. I'm just saying that um, I think most of us fall on the spectrum somewhere. So I have run several businesses over the decades, and I have to say that nothing has been as difficult for me as running an online business. And I think what is especially a landmine for me and those of us with ADHD is all the bright, shiny, right? We Mm -hmm. love anything that's new and bright and shiny. And we also tend to be lifelong learners. So we love the learning part. Yes. And I am always the perfectionism, right? I'm always trying to make things better. And sometimes I can literally feel like I'm trying to get rid of cockroaches in a New York City apartment because it never (laughs) ends. They just keep coming, right? All the different things I can learn, all the bright, shiny things, all the new technology. And so I would love to hear your take on your struggles with entrepreneurialism and also, you know, your clients' struggles. Like, what have you seen? Yeah, yeah, it's I love that you said that you've had other businesses, but like the online one was really has been the hardest because I think that By is far. Yeah, I think I have a lot of clients that um like are brick and mortars and they do that and then and they love doing that and they're getting all of their clients from referrals and then but that only can work so far until they're like, "Okay, well I really need to get more clientele and more reach." And so that's when they try to dip into social media and the online world. And that's where they just feel so overwhelmed because it is very overwhelming. There are so many aspects about it and there's so many different social media platforms and they interact so differently. And there's also lots of different opinions on how you should be showing up there and what you should be doing. And like you said, Tracy, we love learning. Like our brain just soaks up new information and it's so easy to get wrapped into wanting to learn from different people here and there, and then getting so confused when you hear lots of contradicting things. (laughs) So I hear this a lot from my clients where they're like, well, this person said I need a whole email sequence, but I just don't know if I can crank out all those emails for myself. And this person said they don't even have a website and you don't even need a website. So then what should I do? (laughs) And I can imagine it is so overwhelming. Um, And by the way, for my tip for that is always to really find like one to two people that you really, really trust and just follow and listen to what they say and not try to take in so many different opinions because it could really, really get confusing there. Um, But some of the things I have seen a lot when it comes to entrepreneurship and ADHD is keeping up with all of the like tasks and responsibilities while still enjoying your business and doing the parts that you really are excited and enjoy doing. And that really can get complicated because we want to do the things that we love, but then it's like, oh, but I got to respond to these emails and I got to send this thing out and I got to make sure that this person knows where they're going. And so there's just so many things and it's really hard to juggle those two. Another huge one that I know you'll probably laugh at is we have such genius ideas And when inspiration strikes, we are gung-ho. Like we are like, this is what I'm doing. I'm so excited. I can do this right now. I'm ready. And then when the whole planning of that, of actually doing something with that idea, making it come to life, too many steps. And we're like, I don't even know where to start. Where do I even do this? And so many ideas are just in our graveyard. And it's really hard for us to actually do something with those. And I think that this is one of the huge things that 
ADHDers are kind of plagued by is like, I have all these great ideas and I even want to start all these businesses and I've bought so many domains, but I don't do anything with them. Well, and and yeah. That's huge, right? Because we are big procrastinators as far as I've seen. And we hide behind the learning instead of doing those actions that actually create a lot of fear in us, but we really want to do them. We know that they'll move us forward. I, I know I tell my story all the time about how I really struggled with being visible so all, you know, the, the online visibility, the live video stuff. And it wasn't though until I actually did that, that things started blowing up, you know, before that, I mean, who cares what incredible things you've created if nobody knows about them, right? Exactly. So I'm curious, um, what exactly do you teach? It sounds like social media. Is that one of the big areas? Cause that is the bane of my existence. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, I do dabble in with social media marketing, but it's not one of the biggest things I teach. Mainly what I focus on is helping ADHD entrepreneurs mold their business for what their brain needs, for what they need. Because Hmm. so many times I have found that they're trying to run their business the way they've been taught, the way they see other people do, but it doesn't actually align to what they need, to their circadian rhythm, to their personality, to some of their values. And that really creates a lot of unalignment for us and our business. And if you keep going down that route, you may find yourself resenting, even resenting your business at some point. And that is my biggest red flag. Like that is a danger zone when you start to resent your business because it is so hard to get out of that. Um, so one of my main focuses is that is really structuring their business for what their brain needs, for what feels right, for what their, their nervous system needs. Right. Um, and making sure that we're trying to avoid burnout. And then of course the business strategies, like some of the foundations getting their messaging, right. So it's attracting the perfect people for them, the visibility. Um, yeah, so we kind of dabble into those things. Well, because it's so true that, you know, we can be so busy, 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 but if you're not busy on the right things, you're working your rear end off, right? You're constantly moving, you're constantly doing, but again, if it's not the right doing, nothing's ever going to happen with it. And I think that's what happens to us, right? We jump from thing to thing because the minute it starts to get kind of challenging, whatever that challenging thing is for us, we go into something else and, oh, I can learn more about that. Yes. So yes, how, do you, huge. how do you do this? How do you um, get them to the point where they can look at their business and then discover what actually is working for them, what they should continue doing versus what they should get rid of? Yeah. So one of the biggest things I do with them is pinpointing their biggest strengths and skills and the things that naturally come easy to them. Uh but also the things that they feel really proud about, like Mm -hmm. the things that they really like and enjoy about themselves. And those things come easy. Like for example, for me posting on Instagram and coming up with content, that's easy for me, but do I love, I hate you, (laughs) but do I want to be doing that all day long? No, actually, because it's just not as fun as you think it is. So Sometimes our skills don't always align up to the things that we get the most reward and validation from. 
So that's one of the really key things is looking at what are you really good at, but what are some of the things that light you up? Some of the things that you feel proud about yourself that you're good at that and you enjoy doing that and making sure that our business is really focusing on those things and all of the other little things that are really hard for us or things that just do not quite come very easy to us trying to minimize those things, outsourcing them, or just approaching them in a different way that is more minimalistic and easy for you. Because we all feel like we have to do the most. We see what everybody else is doing and we try to do that. And that is not the right way to approach your business. you got to approach your business for you. I say this all the time, but I'm like, girl, you have created an amazing business for someone else to run, not for you with an ADHD brain to run. (laughs) And I think a lot of people end up doing that. Yes. And, and that is probably my biggest bit of advice, certainly from my experience, is that if you could just work hard enough to get your business to the point where you can then hire that first person to help you, that yes. right away frees you up from the things you hate doing the most. And then you just kind of, and then, you know, you work a little harder and then you can hire the second person that can take the thing that you hate the second most. And pretty yes. soon you're at the point where you are able to be that big idea person which is what we love to be the most, I think. Totally. Um, And there can be other people that are supporting you because, oh my God, that was the hardest part for me. I just, I would put all these, you know, strategies together and I might follow them for a week and I just couldn't do all those balls and I had no interest in the day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Admitting that to ourselves is so important too. Because I think there's almost a little bit of shame that comes from that where we're like, but I'm supposed to be doing these things. I'm supposed to be good at them. This is part of business. So like, why do I have such a hindrance to it? And it's okay. Like your brain is just different. It just wants to do the things that are really exciting and important. The things that you find create the most impact for people. Because that is another huge thing I have found with ADHD entrepreneurs that I love about us. And I can easily spot someone when I see this in them is the passion to make an impact, to help. Like a lot of ADHDers, or I would say most of them, are not in business just to make money. Like that is not- none of them are. Yeah, that's not enough motivation for us. We're in it because we want to change something Mm -hmm. about someone. We want to, not change something about someone. We want to change lives. We want to make an impact. We want to be able to say, wow, I helped that person with whatever it is that I'm offering. And that is like great payment enough, right? So I really think that leading with that is so beautiful. And you know what? People can pick up on that. People can tell when your intentions are right. And they want to work with people that are super passionate and nerdy about their stuff. And so I think sometimes we like try to almost dim and hide that part when it's actually our greatest asset. Absolutely. 100%. You know, I did a survey a couple of years ago in our big Facebook group and I asked, do you feel, I'm trying to remember what the question was. It was something along the lines of, do you feel that you care more about making a difference than, you know, than your peers? And literally 98% of the women that responded said yes. And that is the one quality that I have seen with every single ADHD woman that I've ever met. That if we're not making a difference, you know, forget it. We're we're willing to walk. I think the problem there, though, is we typically don't care about money, right? So we'll just give stuff away because it makes us feel good to help other people, which is great. But if you're not making any money, you don't have a business, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so I love that conversation. So I want to know, can you give us some tips or tricks or things that you are known for in the entrepreneurial world? Because I know that you have a very large following of women who are online entrepreneurs. Yeah, so, well, I'd say one of the biggest things that would stand me apart is that I'm such a nerd when it comes to teaching. And Mm -hmm. I've really hyper-focused on if I were learning, how would I want to learn? Because I met, like I mentioned in the beginning, I've took so many courses and spent thousands of dollars <laughs> on coaching. Yep. And there was this, there was moments, like I'd say almost a whole year where like anytime an ad would pop up for a course, like I wanted to buy it. And I took so much of that. And I was like, oh my God, this, what is this person doing? Like, it was so boring to get through. It was so hard. Like, They would give a lot of like big concepts, but never like the how, like the one, two, three steps. That's what I need. Or I need like examples like, okay, now I know what you mean, but like show me in the real world, how does this look like? So I can kind of wrap my head around it. So I've really pushed myself and I'm so passionate about making educational super easy for an ADHD brain to understand and to even want to keep looking at and not press the snooze button. So that's one of the things that I'm really known for um, in my membership. My membership ladies love it. And they'll tell you, I got this review the other day where Jessie was the first coach that I could watch her trainings over and over again and still get something and even want to watch them over and over again. And I thought that was such a huge compliment because man, I don't really watch things over and over again. Like it's a struggle to even get it through once, right? Um, so that I would say is one of the big things I'm, I'm known for is really teaching business advice, business education and strategies to grow your business in a way that an ADHD brain can actually understand no fluff, no BS, just straight. This is how it is. (laughs) So that's one of the biggest things I'm known for. You know, one of the things that I remember now that we're sitting here talking is all of the courses that I took from some very big names yeah. But the, uh, and, and I think this is an ADHD thing. If you really care about, I can't handle visual clutter. And I hmm. would open up these programs and they would have these one hour videos and it was, everything Ugh. was such a mess. You know, <laughs> yes. there was no, like, we need that simplicity, right? We need short yes. little videos. We can learn as well as they can, if not better, if it's yep. in an area of interest, but we can't learn like that. And yep. I would just, because it was so expensive, I would force myself to sit in front of these videos, but I don't think I absorbed anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly my experience. And and as I'm having these conversations with ADHD entrepreneurs, they've told me the same thing. So it's really a breath of fresh air for them to see my courses and they're shorter. And I also have all of the accessibility options, like the captions, the transcript, lots of visuals in the, in the video, instead of words, <laughs> visuals, And so, yeah, it's been really cool to see people empowered to learn. Like, they're like, oh, I can do this. I want to learn now where they felt like this. I just not I must not want it hard enough. Right. And it's like, no, it just wasn't being taught to you in a way that your brain is like, oh, okay. (laughs) So what you're basically doing is you are helping your women to feel successful because we know that's how motivation works in our brain. If we have positive emotion, we feel successful, we're going to keep going versus if we feel like total losers that can't do this, we're not. And I have to tell you that I feel so sorry for young women that start out, you know, working in this online business world 
because I feel like I at least had the experiences of, I'm thinking of one company, high-end women's wear company. It was um, 60% of our business was Saks, Neiman's, and Nordstrom. And all I had to do, I mean, it was a lot of work. I had to create four lines a year. Um, And that was a lot of work. But beyond that, the only thing that I did is we had to obviously create, you know, this every quarter, but I had to get a bunch of samples. We had to put them on models. We had to take pictures. We had to put that on a postcard and we sent it to the buyers. And then I just had to cart my stuff over to the shows or I would have my, um, salespeople, you know, do that if it wasn't a big show. And that is how we sold the product versus Hmm. online with all of the different social media and the different, the email campaigns. And like, I don't know how young women who never don't have the experience of seeing how it used to be, even understand where to even start. And if you add ADHD to that, it is really hard. Yes. Yes, it's so much. And I think for anyone, it is hard. It's a lot to process, a lot to learn, and a lot to take in. But I think there's so much overwhelm that comes for new entrepreneurs when they see everything that's required of them. And it's so easy to immediately just want to shut down and immediately just go, oh my gosh, I, I don't know if I can do this. And we almost start talking ourselves out of it. Um, and so when we approach it from that standpoint, of course, everything just feels harder. And every time you try to learn and something doesn't go away, then you're like, oh my gosh, you see, I'm just not made for this. I just can't do it. And so it's been really cool to watch some of the people in my circle when I get to explain to them in ways that they can understand and then even making a plan for themselves that would work for them. Like if you've ever seen those ads that are like, uh, plan 30 days of social media in one hour. Oh, <laughs> that, that is the most neurotypical thing I've heard. Like, I can't, I can't. I used to do that and I couldn't even do it that fast because my brain just can't do it at that rate. So even changing your approach and like your expectation for yourself of how you're going to do it, I found that makes all the difference. Um, so I just want, I just want anyone listening to be like, yes, how do I do it? Like, there's so much like, a lot of people take it as proof that they're just not made for it, that they just shouldn't pursue this business. And that's not true. If you can just find ways that to do it, that work for you. If you can do like even the bare minimum in the beginning, like that is my expectation. My expectation is just to do the bare minimum as I get used to it, as I learn more and just taking it little by little really can make it possible. Um, yeah. And we're the ones with all the great ideas, right? So you got to do it. I mean, this is where you belong. It's just you're going to have to do it differently than a neurotypical entrepreneur might do it, which again, I'm not sure that I really believe that there are that many of them. Um, And (laughs) there are just ADHD people, right, where this is their gift. They are so good at it. They just, you know, the online marketing, I'm like, I just take my hat off. I just want to yeah, crawl in a hole when I see all of those flashing lights and things that I'm supposed to do because I won't do it. (laughs) Yeah, it can be really difficult and so easy to just shut down because it requires a lot of executive function, right? Like, let's put some sides behind it. It's not just that you're lazy and you just don't feel like doing it or you just Mm -hmm. give up easily. It's just a lot of executive function. Like your brain is having a hard time with that. It's okay. Um, So yeah, I think 
the coolest thing about your group as well and, and some of my community is that when you're in these groups and you hear other people talk about the same struggles you're having, it's so amazing to see that you're not the only one and it gives you motivation to be like, okay, maybe I do have a shot at this. And so that's why I always recommend people to find a community because it is so liberating to find out that you're not alone and you're not crazy. (laughs) There's other people that are going through the same thing as you are. And it's really cool when we can exchange tips, when people can be like, oh, this is what I do. And it's really saved me this time. You know, you can really learn from how other people are approaching it too. You're so right. The community is almost as important as anything. Actually, it is as important as anything else because once you have another, because I just think about the network that I've been able to build up over the years, we all struggle with the same problems and most of them are not neurotypical. Um, In fact, I can't think of one of the women that I hang out with (laughs) online that are neurotypical, But just knowing that they are struggling with the same things that I am struggling with makes it so much easier. Yeah, I agree. That brought up such a good point. I wanted to bring up that before I knew I had ADHD, I really, I could say my whole life, but I was really looking up to the women that looked like they had it all together, like the perfect Pinterest moms and business owners, the ones who were, who really looked like they really had it all together. And I was almost like obsessing over them because I wanted to desperately be like them. And what I didn't realize is that that was not healthy for me because I was almost trying to attain what they had, but that just wasn't something in that way for me to have. And it wasn't until I realized that I had ADHD that then I was like, oh, that's why their advice and stuff hasn't worked for me. Not because I just suck. So yeah, I think (laughs) getting around other ADHD women, other people, other neurodivergence is really cool and so much more beneficial than someone that seems like they have it all together. Because in a way, we're just trying to attain something that from a brain that does not operate like yours does. So I think it's really cool to see what's possible through other neurodivergent and ADHD brains because it really like shows you, oh, look, they don't like, for example, I don't really do much with my email stuff. Like, I think the last email I sent was (laughs) ages ago because I just it's just something I don't want to do. I don't want to spend time in email and I make up for it for my social media and my post. And like that, when I tell people that I don't do email, they look, their jaws drop. What do you mean? Everyone tells me I should have an email list and everyone tells me I should be sending like four emails at least a month. And, and I'm like, you don't, you don't have to do anything that doesn't feel aligned for your business. One day I will make it, I will make this a bigger priority and I will outsource it because I'm not doing it. I'm outsourcing that for sure. But right now it just doesn't feel right for my business. I don't actually need to in this moment. And so really just looking at what is common popular opinion and just going, how does that work for me though? Is it going to work for me? And being able to say, no, actually I'm going to do it differently and screw it. I'm doing it differently. I think that has been really cool to do. I tried for um, literally years to get a consistent newsletter out every week. (laughs) Oh my gosh, what a nightmare. The way I finally cracked the code, and I am proud to say that I've probably been doing it now for, I don't know, eight months maybe consistently. Wow. But the only way I could crack the code is I had to pull myself out of it because I always became the bottleneck, right? I'm always trying to make things yeah. better, and they would wait on me to sign off on stuff, right? And yeah. 
it wasn't what I loved to do. So it would sit there and other things would take precedence. What we did is we set up a template and we used our podcast to basically be the focus of the newsletter. So what that meant was I could have my um, assistant help me put it all together and then I would just have to look at it and approve it. And yes. that is, and I still, sometimes I approve it late, but <laughs> I have been consistent for, I think it's close to eight months. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but I think it's close to eight months, but I can't even tell you, Jesse, how that weighed on me because I had literally tried. Well, I had tried for decades before that with newsletters for other businesses. So I was never successful at it. I just had to take myself out of it. Bottom line, sad to admit it, but that's what works. And now I'm really proud I did it. Yay. (laughs) That's awesome. Before we leave, um, I do want to talk about one more thing. So we know that people with ADHD often have vision challenges. I've read statistics that it's as high as 50% of us. And I know that you know something about Erlen syndrome. Am I pronouncing it right? Yep. Yep. That's right. Um, which I believe studies there show that 33% of people with ADHD, actually, I think you gave me that statistic, 33% of people with ADHD have Erlen syndrome. So can you talk about that? Because whenever we talk about vision issues, I had um, Renee Brooks here the fabulous Renee Brooks, talking about vertical heterophoria. And I have never, maybe not never, but it is my one of my top podcasts for listeners coming back and saying, oh my gosh, you have no idea how that saved my life. So, you know, it was life-changing. And so I didn't know what the difference was between vertical heterophoria and Erlen syndrome. So maybe you can start by telling us what is it and how did you know that you had it? Yeah. So Erlen syndrome is not a eye problem. It is a brain and eye connection problem. So I discovered this because I was going through a really bad burnout. And, you know, when you go through a bad burnout, all of your ADHD symptoms get exasperated. And I just realized that being on my computer and then when I would leave my computer and I'd be like, okay, now I'm going to watch some Netflix and then watching the TV and then scrolling through Instagram, like that would create such massive headaches for me. And it it just became like, when I go through burnouts, I realized that my Erlen syndrome gets worse also. And it was just excruciating pain almost sometimes where I just had to like sleep or close my eyes and have my eyes rest. But so all of my life I have had headaches and having one a day was pretty normal. And they were always started because of the light. Like if I went outside and just took a peek without sunglasses, boom, instant headache. And at this point, I knew that I was very sensitive to the light. And I knew that most of my headaches happened because of light exposure. And so I'm those persons that I can never go out without sunglasses. And sometimes in when I got diagnosed, the diagnostician told me that this was one of the one of the little funny signs of Erlen is if you ever feel the need to like keep your sunglasses in when you go to stores, like I would go to the mall and I want to keep my sunglasses on. Ah. So I just felt like the lights were everywhere and they were so they were too loud. And so that was me. I was just the girl with the sunglasses all the time. And so but what I just made I, you go go in and say maybe it's you know were you just you were you had headaches and you knew there was something with your eyes and so you went in and saw I don't know an ophthalmologist yes. and yeah so actually 
I, so I, I was in during this burnout, I, I had, it had become so much of a problem. I was very aware of like, I, I just feel like I don't, I don't even want to wake up because I just want to keep my eyes closed all day because the light was affecting me so much. And so I was, I'm in a, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this is an ADHD thing, but I love, I, well, I can't say that now because I'm so busy, but I used to love Facebook groups. Like I would join a Facebook group for anything and everything about my life. Mm-hmm. And I joined a like I one, um, I forget the technical name, but it's like, I think it was light sensitivity and just like kind of a lot of vision problems bundled into one Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And I was scrolling one day and someone mentioned about the headaches because of the light and had anyone found anything that helped. There was one comment that said, oh, the Erlen process has really helped me and has almost minimized all of my headaches. So of course they had my attention. I'm like, Erlen process, what does that mean? So then I Googled it and that's where I discovered Erlen syndrome. And they have a really neat website. Um, I think it's just erlen.com. And you could even change the color of the site, like the background of it to different colors. And you can kind of try out if your brain likes any of those colors better, like if it makes it a bit easier for you to look at. And so I tried some of that. I did some of their like self-assessment tests. I looked at the symptoms and I was like, my God, that is me. One of the weird symptoms is having trouble reading sheet music. Oh, And in high school, I was in choir and I was actually a really good singer. But every single time, um, and I don't know if you're filming, but like they had different levels of choirs and it was like the more advanced one the like beginner one and I for like my whole high school career I had tried to move up but I couldn't because every time they would get to the site sheet music reading part I could never pass that and I just felt like the biggest idiot because I'm like I know this but like but it was so hard for me to process And so when I saw that on that symptom list, I was like, no, there's no way. Um, It's so specific. So specific, right? I was like, what? Um, Having math issues is also that depth perception too. Like I've never been good at sports as hard as I tried. Like I can see the ball coming at me, but I just like, I could never catch it on time. Um, So when I look up, okay, how do I get diagnosed with Erlen syndrome? To my luck, there is a whole center here in Houston where I'm from to get diagnosed. And sadly, they are very scarce on diagnosticians. But if you go to the website, you can look up your location and see who is the nearest one to you. So there's some good news, Tracy. This is something that could be easily not, I wouldn't say fixed, but really improved because what they discovered, and by the way, this was only discovered in the 90s. So it's kind of fairly new. Um, I'm trying to build some more awareness for it because mm-hmm. it's something that's not really being talked about. But what they found is that people that have Erlen syndrome, their brains prefer a color, like one specific color. And white is like our enemy. Like white is way too bright for our brains. So to get diagnosed, they just put you through a test and then they show you a bunch of different colors, like little lenses. And you read like the same paper. They they did show you sheet music. And I was, I, I was crying at my test because I, they showed me, oh, they also showed me one with fractions. And I was like, no, get that away. I got instant. Like I just wanted to hurl. 
And I w- math was never my strong suit. And then when we found the color that my brain preferred and I, they gave me back the sheet music and the fraction, it was like all of the overwhelm had gone away. Like I instantly knew, oh, I can start over here. Like I think with the sheet music, there was just too much going on that my brain almost didn't know where to start. Like it was distracted by everything that was going on. So once I put on the lenses that I needed, that is mine are like kind of a pinkish colored lens. And once I put that on, all of the overwhelm goes away. Like I, I now I can read. I was also doing funky. Um, like I would start when I was reading, I would start a sentence and then midway through the sentence, I'd read like line three and then be really confused. And that would happen to me quite often. Um, so Another good thing is that dyslexia, autism, and some other um, neurodivergence can also really benefit from the Erlen process. It's also, it's used a lot with dyslexic students as well. So I have my lenses and I put them on from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep because they really, really help me, especially being in front of a computer all day. So if your eyes have always been super extremely sensitive and you get lots of migraines from it or just headaches... And I mean, if you go and look at the diagnosis symptom, it's, it's it's kind of eerie how specific some of those things are. But yeah, it's it's worth looking into because as I've talked about it, so many women have been like, oh my God, this is what I have. I've mm. had this my whole life. <laughs> so um, what you're saying is that everybody's diagnoses, meaning their, their the color of their glasses, is a bit different. It depends yes. on what the brain prefers. Yeah, it's wow. it's different per person. And I'm talking about all of the colors in the rainbow. Like <laughs> some people's are blue, some people's are yellow, some are orange, like all of the colors. And even my diagnostician, she told me that it could even change, like your color could change. Um, she said that she has some clients that like some of the boys would go through puberty and then their color would change. Yeah, so it's really really weird and odd, but it makes such a big difference. Another thing was um, changing the color paper that I write on. Like white was too bright for my light. So um, now I do like a lavender color and my brain likes that so much better. So it's it's different, but it makes such a difference. Right. Isn't it cool? It's um, fascinating. Wow. Yeah. So oh, I'm just glad that they found a easy way to kind of fix it. Right. Because there's so much of what, when we get a new diagnosis that we're just told like, well, there's really nothing that you can do to help. Um, but this was kind of a really cool, I would say somewhat easy fix. Now an ophthalmologist, eye doctor, they cannot diagnose this. Like it needs to be a trained Erlen diagnostician. Some of them don't even know what that is. Some of them will know, but you have to be trained to be able to do it. And they're not, unfortunately. So it's the same thing as vertical heterophoria then, right? There's specialists, optometrists, um, but specialists in this. And most, you know, eye doctors don't even, they're not familiar with it. They can't test for it. You know, they'll do the, your regular tests, but they don't test for that. So you can go for your entire life, not knowing you have it. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Thank you very much for sharing that. You know, let me put in a plug for vertical heterophoria, which is another um, vision challenge. Um, this one, though, is a, it's a type of binocular vision disorder that occurs because the eyes are misaligned. And so your eye muscles are working so hard to correct the misalignment. And that one can lead to headaches, migraines. And I know what Renee Brooks was talking about was just 
horrible, debilitating neck pain to the point I think she told me she had to quit working for a while. It can also affect your vestibular system. So you, you feel out of balance, like, you know, you, you get vertigo. And it's, it's interesting because it's the same fix where it's a, you know, a different color glass that for Renee, I know it instantly changed her life. So yes, I just think that all of these vision challenges, I mean, when it's such a simple fix, right, that it's just a right. pair of glasses with a different color lens, oh my gosh, we need to spread the word. So I'm going to ask you one, so thank you. I'm going to ask you one last question. I would love yes. to know what is your number one ADHD workaround? <laughs> oh man, that's a good one. Okay. So I recently discovered this. This is just a funny specific one, but if you have a, a smartphone, whether it's Android or iPhone, um, but you have something like Siri or even Google to Alexa, you can, you know how we do this often where we're like, okay, I got to remember that I put my re this receipt in my sock drawer because <laughs> we put it away so we don't lose it. Well, you can tell your phone, Siri, Alexa, whatever, like Alexa reminds me that I'm putting my receipt in my sock drawer. <laughs> and then when you ask her, where did I put my receipt? She'll tell you, you told me to remind you to put it in that you put it in your sock drawer. And that has just changed my life because now I don't feel like I have to remember or write it down. I just tell Alexa or Siri and they got my back. So that has made me feel so cool. <laughs> that is hilarious. The thing is though, you have to remember to ask her, right? <laughs> yeah. Well now, well, I would always freak out. Like, I'm like, okay, Jesse, remember it's in the sock drawer. Remember. And then I, now I'm like, no, 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 we don't got to remember. We just tell someone about it. Yes, so. exactly. So when you're looking for it, you remember that, oh, A knows about it or Siri knows about it. Yes, I can't say yes. her name because she's already, she perked up when you said her name, <laughs> sitting here on my desk. Anyway, Jesse, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Um, yeah, so I have a membership for ADHD women entrepreneurs, and we go through like business education and a really cool private community. Um, and there's so much like that goes on in that community where people ask for questions and lots of networking happens. We have co-working sessions and we have a monthly, I call it a squirrels party where we just all come on zoom and we just get to hang out and talk about whatever, like no business talk, just like a girl's time. Um, so it's really an awesome place to not feel alone and feel supported in your entrepreneurship. I had a new member last week say that this is the village I needed to raise my baby, AKA my business. And I loved that so much. Um, so yeah, my membership is open. Um, I'm guessing that it'll be in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, what is it? Go ahead and give it to us if you can, if you yeah. have a URL. It's called, so it's called the Squirrelpreneurs Society. And you can just go to my website, um, ADHDfemaleentrepreneurs.com. Sorry, I know that's long, but you can check it out there, all the information. Um, it's only $47 a month and you get a ton of support and a group coaching call with me and a weekly thread to ask me any questions about your business. So um, it's a great place for support. Sounds wonderful. So again, it's ADHDfemaleentrepreneurs.com. Yes. I got it right. Jesse, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Oh, thank you so much. This was so great. I was so honored that you reached out to me. So thank you so much for giving me um, a time to really talk to your people here.
Wonderful. Um, I appreciate that you accept it. So that's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Jesse Romero, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.